Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. My friends, thank you for joining me once again on the Shema Podcast. I want to dedicate this episode to my friends at Heimish who inspired this content that I'll be discussing today. You know, after this week of atrocities that we have seen, I, I wanted to share something uplifting. I think we need that. In order to build a framework for this conversation and what I want to share with you, I want to begin with what I've been learning with my friend Ross Altman. The book is Das Devunos, Knowing God's Plan by Ram Kaul. But one of the things we've been covering, these concepts, is this idea that I've discussed before on this podcast, that the building blocks of creation are the binary code of God's revelation and God's concealment. And we were learning how the revelation of God is his oneness And the concealment of God creates the illusion of separate parts. And so just as Hashem is the oneness and the vitality to all of the physical world, which has the illusion of having all these separate parts, like the water, the land, the trees, the animals, the reality is is that everything is one. And to take this idea because it is a fractal idea. What Ram Kaul was teaching us through his text this week is that man's neshama is also Hashem's revelation. The soul, the neshama, has no parts. And the body is Hashem's concealment because it creates these illusion of these different parts. And you probably all, all have heard stories. My parents told me about a friend of theirs who had flatline died in the hospital. And this person, you've heard these stories before, left his body and was looking down on his body, watching the doctors trying to resuscitate him back to life, seeing his family in the room, hearing all the conversations, seeing and hearing. And then he returned to the body and was restored back to life. But again, how did his neshama, when it was removed from his body, hear and see. And that is what Ram Kaul was teaching, is that the soul can see and hear. It's just in its counterpart in the physical world, the body, the body has these distinct parts, the ears that can hear, the eyes that can see, and so forth. And Ram Kaul teaches that the purpose of mankind is to look and choose to view the world through the lens of the neshama, that everything is one, versus choosing to look at the world through the lens of the body where the body itself has component parts and the world around them has component parts. And the body just sees things that it lacks and it's totally separate from the needs of others. And our goal is to view the world through the lens of the neshama so we can see that the Jewish people are one. And there's another idea that I learned from Rabbi Cohen, another way in which is fractal nature of the world of God's 
concealment, revelation, the soul, the spiritual entity, and the physical body. And the purpose of our life is to elevate our body to be like the neshama. And he said that the Jewish people are the neshama to the rest of the world who are the body. We have the 70 nations, but the Jewish neshama, that one branch that stems from Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yokov, the Jewish people are the soul to the non-Jewish world. They are the body. And the goal is just like within, our, within ourselves to elevate our bodies, our goal when we return to Israel during the times of Mashiach, when we become a light to the nations, the priests of the nations, just like our neshama now is trying to guide us in the right direction and elevate our body, we will then at that point guide the rest of the world and elevate them. And on a side note to my friend Ross, when I told you that it's my understanding that the resurrection of the dead would occur in the eighth millennium, eternity, in Allah not in the seventh millennia, the era of Mashiach, I was mistaken. I heard this from Rabbi Yokoff Wolby in a lecture he gave on his podcast. I remember Rabbi Yakobian on the podcast we did, Living in the Era Mashiach, said the same. So when we think about this time when Hashem returns us back to Israel to be the soul, to be the light, to be the priest to the other nations, that our loved ones that we've lost will be returned to us. And that's what it means in the prayer we say before the Burkos Homazon, the prayer we say after we have our bread meal, that when Hashem will return the captivity of Zion, we'll be like dreamers. My friends, it'll just be like a dream that we wake up from. Then our mouth will be filled with laughter and our tongue with glad song because everything will have made sense. Our loved ones will be returned to us. Everything that happened in our lives and throughout Jewish history, and I guess our multiple lives, will make sense. So as we're studying this week's Parsha, Bereshis, we see how God created the angels, perfect spiritual beings, but they can't grow. They're static. Then he created the animal kingdom. They can't grow. They're running off instincts. And then he created mankind, a fusion of the two. And through that fusion, mankind has potential to grow and ascend higher than an angel. But sadly, as we have seen this week, mankind can also descend to be lower than an animal. I mean, God programmed many animals to eat other animals. And so they will kill another animal in order to have nourishment. But animals don't kill other animals because they find delight in watching them suffer. So we've seen this last week how man can devolve into being less than an animal. But I, I want to share with you the other side of the equation, my friends. You need to see the other side. And that's what I see every day since I've been living in this community. My friend Ross saw it this week as well. His mother had passed away a little over a year ago. And the gravestone was coming in and... He wanted to have the unveiling and he didn't know what to do. And he asked me and I had no idea. So we asked Rabbi Ari Wolby and he said, yes, there are certain prayers you say to honor your mother, elevator neshama, and we need a minion, 10 Jewish men to be there. And so I sent out a request to my brothers in this community and more than 10 arrived. 
in order to help Ross, a man most have never met, fulfill this mitzvah. And then after we did that, later that day, Ross and I met over at Hymish to learn this Torah that I told you about earlier. And it was, we're sort of struggling with the concept to some degree. And then it was time for Mika Marav, Ross Dalvin with us. And afterwards that night, we spoke on the phone because we gained clarity in what Ram Khal was teaching by observing the Jews that were around us. Ross was blown away. Why would these people take time out of their day when they never have met me in order to come help me honor my mother? And I said, because that's just how they are. That's normal for them. And then we realized the wrong call teaching is because they see things through the lens of the neshama, that the Jewish people are one. When they see a Jew lacking something, it is as if they are lacking something. And they yearn to fulfill that lack for the other Jew as they would themselves. That's why they all showed up. And it's amazing too. The boys I teach finance and economics to for the last year and this year I've I'm teaching them geometry as well, but three out of the four boys are bar mitzvah, but they all wanted to come and fulfill this mitzvah and help out their brother Ross that they've never met before. And as I was dropping them off, I was about to thank them for doing this favor for me and Ross. And before I had that opportunity, they began to thank me for this opportunity to do this mitzvah and to help out their brother. It's, it's really beautiful. I mean, just think if mankind around the world could elevate themselves to the level of these 12 and 13-year-old boys. There's so much I see here that they believe is normal, but I know, and those of you who have not grown up in such an environment know, is not normal. It's exceptional. It's truly beautiful. When I think back over the last three years at where... I learned the most Torah. It's not from the text I study. It's not from the amazing lectures that I've heard given by the rabbis here in this community. Those have all been a great source of Torah learning. I don't want to discount that, but they weren't the greatest source of my Torah learning. The greatest source of my Torah learning was just by observing how these people behave. I shared the following story with you in an earlier podcast, I believe. It's about Rabbi Ari Woolby. I was still in Kingwood, and he told me that he was needing to do something to have a little time, an activity that was separate from Torch. He works very diligently running Torch. He is the chief person that helps with the fundraising to make sure the rabbis are paid and the organization is running. He is first and foremost focused on teaching classes nonstop, being there for his students for a personal consultation. He needed some me time. And I said, of course, everyone needs that. And I thought he was going to tell me that he was going to pick up golf or maybe fishing or maybe have a bowling night with the guys. I don't know. The things normal people do. And then he informed me what he was doing was he was studying for his EMT test so he could be a volunteer for Hatzalah, so he could be there as a first responder to people in his community 
when they had injuries and life-threatening situations. That's what he chose for his me time. To him and those in this community, and there's so many volunteers for Hatzala, that's normal. But it is in no way normal. It is exceptional. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's bringing tears to my eyes, my friends. And I think we need now some tears of joy versus tears of sadness. Earlier this year, I walked out to my car and there was a flat tire. And Rabbi Yokoff will be called me and I said, hey, yeah, let me call you back. So I'm trying to get a hold of my wife so I need to inflate my tire. And she has the device that will inflate the tire in her car. He said, don't do that. Just call Haverim. And I said, okay. So I call them and they come out, three guys. And they try to inflate the tire, the hole's too big. So they sit there and I felt bad. I'm like a grown man and I'm watching them. They're like, no, we got it. We got it. And they changed the tire, put everything away. And I was like, guys, I, I couldn't believe they were just doing this for me. They insisted that they got it. They wanted to do it. They didn't want my help. And I said, well, let me pay you. They say, no, no, we don't take money. This is just what we do. It's just, it's just what we do. There's nothing normal about it. I had the experience very early on where I was keeping Shabbos. i just begun, very proud of myself. I had a returning flight on a Friday that was, got delayed during the layover. I didn't know if I was going to make it back in time. I was sort of panicking what I was going to do, how I was going to experience Shabbos in an airport. And I called Rabbi Ari Wolby and asked him for advice. He said, let me call you back in 10 minutes. He called me back and I thought he was going to give me some advice on how to get some food, how to live in an airport over Shabbos. He said, no, I, I, that's not the contingency plan. Dan, I called a family in the area. And if your flight does not get off the ground by this time, call them, take a cab out there, and they'll host you for Shabbos. I was so blown away by this. I was like, why would these people let a stranger into their home for two nights. And he said, well, you're a stranger, but you're a fellow Jew. I couldn't believe it when I heard that the first time. And I, many situations where I thought I was going to get delayed, and he had another family. It's probably happened six or seven times. Thank God I always made it back in time before Shabbos, but he always had a contingency plan, a family that was just going to take in some stranger over Shabbos. And I see that in this community all the time. People come in and they open their doors to people, total strangers to come live with them from Friday through Sunday. They think it's normal, but it's not. It's, it's exceptional. I moved here right before Rosh Hashanah. And the following year at Rosh Hashanah, Rabbi Busco asked me if I would speak to my peers in the shul at Haimish on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. I looked at him dumbfounded. I mean, everyone in there is a rabbi, and maybe they don't have official rabbinic ordination, but they're rabbis. Everyone in there is a rabbi. They're all my rabbis. And I didn't know what and what I was supposed to talk about. And I asked him, and he said, well, everyone this time of year gets very stressed out and apprehensive because they know they're going through judgment by the Almighty. And I'm thinking, if they're stressed out, I should be Really, I'm not stressed out enough. And I was intimidated. Normally, I'm not intimidated to speak, but in front of such a room full of holy people, what in the world do I have to say? But I do know enough to know that nothing happens by accident and everything comes from my shim. So 
I accepted, even though I had absolutely no idea what I was going to talk about. That evening, I contemplated and realized what I saw that they were not seeing. And that's what Hashem wanted me to share with them. So I shared with them a few ideas. One of them was that shortly after I came here, I was sitting at Hymish and Rabbi Lazinga got up to speak. I was listening to his lecture. I remembered something I had forgotten about. I remembered how early on when I first learned that the Torah is true, it's the blueprint of creation. It's our creator speaking directly to us through this text and that he is running the world and he's intimately involved with all of mankind's affairs and he's right there with me. When I learned that truth and I knew nothing about this community, every rabbi I had ever encountered said it was not true. I had no one to share it with. So I thought it was just me. I thought there was no one else that realized this truth. So I would just sit and study in my office. And over time, what I was lacking was other Jews to share it with. So what I did was I built out in my mind and every time I sat and studied in my office, I built out in my mind more and more with more detail, a study hall, a shul. I was envisioning all these people sitting around me learning as fellow Jews. And then I would envision the, the Rav would walk out and then I would take out a piece of commentary I'd printed from online on the Parsha. And as I was reading the commentary, I envisioned this Rav coming out and teaching this to us. And that is the shul I lived in for several years before I met the Rabbi Wolbys. And what I had realized that moment in, in Hymish was that it brought me to tears. I had to leave because I realized that I'm here. This is the shul I created and lived in in my mind. But I did tell them that a dance shul during Rosh Hashanah, we didn't daven for five hours straight. So that, that part was new. But I remember that at that point in time, that's what I told Hashem I lacked. It's the only thing I lacked. I had his Torah, had him. I lacked other Jews to learn from and to grow with. And so I shared this story that Rosh Hashanah with my rabbis at Hymish, so they would see what they have, that what they have is the only thing I lacked for so many years. But then I, I shared with them how, while I understand that they may have fallen over the course of the year, and understand the Prakeo Vos, that we are, in order to continue to grow, we have to always recognize where we came from, a putrid drop, and where we'll end up, which is being eaten by maggots. To always want to grow and be better. To never think for a moment you're a sonic. To always aspire to be one. So we can continue to grow to greater and greater heights. But I, I wanted them to understand that as they've been reviewing their previous year, that whatever places that they may have fallen to, those places are where I am aspiring and climbing to get to, and that they are the reason God created the world. And my friend Ross said to me on that conversation, like, wow, if people can be so selfless and be like this, where they took time out of their day to come here for me, to honor my mother, if that's what learning Torah and doing mitzvot does, then I want to do more of those things. And I said, yeah, me too. I 
I think, as I said, the, that's the majority of Torah I've learned is through observing. It's why when I was struggling with my busy schedule and I realized that like Sadaka, where you don't look at things and problems from the five dimensions of space and time, meaning if you are lacking money, the way to have financial security is to give it away. Likewise, I decided if I'm lacking time, the solution, when you include in the sixth dimension of spirituality and Hashem, is to give it away. To be like my friends, like this community, where what is normal for them is to volunteer their time. Now, Hadzala, not for me. I would not be helpful if we got called on to a situation where someone was bleeding, I would probably just pass out. And now the Hadzala team would be split up between that patient and now reviving me. Haverim, no way. My wife has forbidden me from doing home repairs because over the years, whenever I attempted to fix anything, it became more expensive when they called a professional in to fix the original problem and the new ones that I created. So that's why the only thing I could think of is volunteering to teach the boys' finance and economics. You know, we're watching a lot of our brothers in the IDF. I'm seeing a lot of people here, this community leaving and going there to fight alongside with them. So what is our role in Hashem's army? What I hope to do with this episode was share with you ideas of what it looks like when someone lives a life of Torah and then inspire in all of us that that's how we remove evil from the world. Our neshamas come from the loftiest place in creation, the throne of glory, the closest thing to Hashem, and they are what, and they connect us through our consciousness. This pipeline of the most powerful thing, our neshamas, entering into this world. And the only thing that blocks that life from entering out into the world around us is the blockages we have through our Yetzirah. And the Torah is the remedy to the Yetzirah. It removes that. The more we can learn, the more we can connect Hashem through davening, the more we open up that pipeline of that holiness and let it into this world. At Mount Sinai, when the Jewish people said, I will do and I will hear, our Yetzirah was removed. We received the two crowns. Our neshama was able to infuse more of itself into our body. And that caused people that had a limb missing to grow that limb back. If they couldn't see, they now could see. If they were sick, they were healed. Any physical deficiency because the presence of the neshama was no longer there. Or the body is just a garment for a neshama, which is just a revelation of Hashem. But then we have the sin of the golden calf. Our Yetzirah was returned. But it makes me realize, you know, when we are the priest of the other nations, a light to the other nations, we no longer have a Yetzirah and we are allowing our neshamas to shine out into the world that the, the body of the non-Jewish world will be healed. The cancerous growth we see, which is Hamas, among others, will be eliminated. I want to conclude by addressing a question that our new friend, David Block, said that many of his friends had at home. And they asked the question, how can we believe in God when there's so much evil in the world? And now after listening to this episode, I would like to implore all those people that asked that question to now begin asking a new question. And that is, how can there not be a God 
when there's so much holiness in the world. Again, if you want to reach out to me, I'd love to hear from you. My new email is shema at torchweb.org. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page.